Today we're going to pick up our study in the book of Daniel. This will be session two in our study. Last week we read Daniel chapter number one. We got down through verse number five. Today we're going to pick up in verse number six. Uh, Daniel chapter one and verse number six. I'll just read these two verses. We'll pray and begin our study. In Daniel chapter one, Verse number six, now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. And he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and unto Mishael, Meshach, and unto, Abed, and unto Azariah, Abednego. Father, we love you and do ask that you go before us today. Open our eyes that we may see and our ears that we may hear. In our hearts that we can understand in Jesus name. Amen. Now as we look here and we pick up in verse number five, um, we are verse number, yeah, verse five, verse six and seven, um, the names of the young Hebrew boys were changed to pagan Babylonian names. They were changed to names to represent the Babylonian gods because all of their names represented the God of Israel. Uh, for example, Daniel uh, in the Hebrew means God is judge. Um, and it was changed to Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, which means Bel's prince. And then you have Hananiah, which is beloved of the Lord. And it was changed to Shadrach, which means illumined by the sun. And then Mishael, who is as God, was changed to Meshach, which means who is like Shach. And then Azariah, the Lord is my help, was changed to Abednego, which is the servant of Nego. So there's no doubt here that this was part of an effort to integrate them culturally into Babylon. And then in verse number eight, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now understand at this time Daniel's about 15 years old. And yet he's determined to live a life of purity and commitment to the Lord. I mean, what was the problem with the food? What was the big deal? Well, number one, the food violated Jewish dietary laws. It wasn't kosher. But then also... It had obviously been sacrificed to the false gods of the Babylonians. So Daniel was determined that he was not going to defile himself and eat this food. We need to understand something in regards to Eastern cultures. When In Eastern culture, when you eat food together, you are becoming one with that other person. Uh, that is what was so wrenching about what Judas did the night that he betrayed the Lord. I mean, he literally sopped right behind our Lord. Uh, he was eating food. He was becoming one, and yet he stood up and went out and betrayed him. Uh, that was what so, was so egregious about that. And the, uh, the Lord's Supper, is that's what that represents as well. We are becoming one with 
the Lord as we take the bread which represents his body that was broken and we take the wine that represents the blood that was shed we're becoming one we're identifying you know and it talks about how you need to examine yourself and see if there be any way in which you know you're being hypocritical in what you're doing um, so the Lord's Supper represents that in a very true way I mean, can you imagine the amount of pressure that was placed on Daniel and his friends to just go along to get along, to just conform? I mean, everything that you hold dear is gone. Your family, your friends, you know, they're gone. Uh, why don't you just take this new name? Why don't you just eat this diet? Why don't you just become a part of the Babylon Babylonians and forget your Jewish past? I mean, the pressure must have been tremendous on him. Now, I think as young people, young people experience, a, I think they experience more, more peer pressure than, I guess, a middle-aged person does. Uh, older people, you get set in your ways and you just don't care anymore, <laughs> for the most part. But I think we're all under some form of peer pressure. I mean, on our jobs and our schools and even in our churches. Uh, we're in this pressure to be alike, you know, that's just the way, the way we are. We, we like, like, we don't like different, uh, different is oddballs, difference over in the corner by themselves. We like, like, we like people because they are like us. So no doubt they were under tremendous pressure to conform. Everything that the Babylonians did by renaming them, by forcing them to eat, of the, of the king's diet by forcing them to learn the language of the Babylonians was part of trying to force them to break their commitment to their God and become a part of Babylonian society. Babylon wanted them to conform. Um, the world wants you and me to conform, which means the world wants us to take on the shape of the world. The world wants us to look like, walk like, talk like, and act like them. They want us to be like them. Um, but as believers, we are warned not to do this. Um, in Romans 12 and verse number 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed. In other words, do not take on the shape of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Um, you cannot find out what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God if you conform to the world. We are called to be transformers, not conformers. Too many believers today are nothing more than thermometers. They just reflect the culture. They reflect the temperature of the culture. Uh, instead, we are called to be thermostats. We need to be setting the temperature of the culture. Because the culture is at constant war with us, like I said, to be like them. And I think that pressure is greatest on young people. Uh, I'm grieved at how many parents in ignorance throw their young children at um, 
state universities that are absolutely hell-bent on um, making them like the state. I think it was Vody Bauckham one, said, one time said, uh, if you if you send if you allow Caesar to educate your children, do not be surprised when they come home as Romans. And I have met so many Christian parents who have, you know, put their children in Christian education only to send them off to some left-wing whack-job university. Um, the left has taken over our university system in the United States. And uh, so many of those children are just like Daniel and his three friends. They get in there and the, they, are, they are leaned on to conform from day one. And I would say 90 plus percent of them do end up conforming, losing their faith and come out as secularists. Um, and it's tragic to watch. I, I, I get a front row seat on social media. Uh, to watch it happen. Very few of them maintain their faith beyond college. And most of them have lost it by their, their sophomore, definitely their junior year. We need to be careful. The world wants us to look like, walk like, talk like, and act like them. Um, and we need to resist the temptation to do so, or we'll never find out what it's like to find that that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for our lives. You know, Paul warned the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 16, 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, or what communion hath light with darkness? And yet we will send our precious little ones into the darkness. We will send our precious little ones into unrighteousness. Well, I mean, what would, what, what, should we expect if we do that? Um, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? So why should we be sitting as believers at the feet of infidels? Uh, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, hath God has said, I would dwell in them, and they will be my people. I will be their God. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We're called to transform, not conform. I think the church is in trouble as long as we keep following the state. And um, that's why in the average church you go to um, in the United States, it's uh, I can promise you most of them aren't, we're not, having a problem with social distancing even before uh, this virus because they're empty and it's sad it's sad because the young people they're not Daniels and Hananiah's and Mishael's and Azariah's they're conforming instead of transforming we need to raise transformers not conformers and then some would say well what is wrong with the world well, number one, you are told, we are told not to love the world. Um, why? Who is the God of this world? The devil. <laughs> uh, you know, John told, told, told uh, um, said in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is, the, is of the world. And he reminds them, the world is passing away. But he that doeth the will of God will abide forever. So first and foremost, we're told we're not to love the world. And then secondly, and this might be a newsflash to many, the world hates us. The world hates the church. You can pick on anybody you want to today. Um, you can, I mean, let's say this this way. You can pick on Christians all you want to today. But if you pick on anybody else, you get called out. I mean, they say such uh, besmirching, mean, evil things. I mean, uh, who was it a couple weeks ago said this whole virus is the Christian or is the Christian's fault? Can you imagine if they would have said that about Islam? Um, Christianity is hated. Why? Because we are children of the light and they are children of darkness. We walk into the room and their sins are exposed. They hate Christians because they just the name Jesus tells them everything they need to know. They know what Jesus taught. They know what Jesus taught against. And many of them are walking in exactly what Jesus taught against. And we represent that. Therefore, the world hates us. Uh, John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So what's wrong with the world? We're told not to love the world. And number two, the world hates us. That is why there's such a tremendous um, uh, temptation to conform. But again, God's called us not to be conformers, but transformers. Not to be thermometers, but thermostats. Now look in verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? In other words, the other captives. Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. So obviously, Daniel and his friends were standing alone. Uh, all the other children which were of the sort of Daniel had conformed by this time. But this guy had every right to fear King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was mean. Uh, in Jeremiah 20, 29-22, it says, And of them shall be taken up a curse by all the captivity of Judah, which are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make thee like Zedekiah and like Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in fire. I mean, he roasted his enemies in fire. <laughs> uh, in Jeremiah 39, 6, Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah in Riblah before his eyes. And the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with chains to carry him into Babylon. I mean, he killed this man's children right before his eyes. And then he put out his eyes so that that would be the last thing that he ever saw. Mm. But notice that God blessed Daniel and his three friends because of their commitment to him by 
giving them favor in the eyes of this man. It's been said God's way may not be pop may not be popular and the path of holiness may not be well traveled, but it is always the right way. It is always the right way to go with God. Um, look in verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So Melzar worked for Asphanaz. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse or vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them for ten days. So here we see, to avoid eating the king's food and defiling themselves, they asked Melzar if he would just give a ten-day test. Just allow them to eat the vegetables, drink the water, and see what they look like at the end of ten days. And then verse number 15 says, And at the end of the ten days, their countenance did indeed appear fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children who did eat of the portion of the king's meat. So at the end of the ten days, they did indeed. They looked healthier. They looked more nourished than the other young men. God was faithful. God was faithful to them. I too have found that God is faithful even when I am faithless. You know, it's far better to please God than to please the world. God will always prove himself faithful. Always. I used to really love, uh, he still comes on the radio, Dr. Adrian Rogers. Um, he pastored Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, Dr. Rogers used to say that when Noah went into the ark, he was in the minority. But when he came out, he was in the majority. <laughs> and that he would rather be right and in the minority than to be wrong and in the majority. That's the way we should be. Uh, it's always better to be right. It's always better to do it God's way, even when we go alone. Now, of course, that's hard to do many times, no doubt. We all struggle with it. In verse 16, Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. So Melzar decided to not make them eat of the king's meat or drink of the king's wine. Uh, that was not kosher. That had been offered to the gods of Babylon and instead allowed them to eat their vegetables and drink their water. Thus we see God's faithfulness. Doing things God's way is always the right way. Uh, and of course, um, it doesn't mean, you know, some people will look at this and say, well, you see there, if, if we do things God's way, he'll always bless us. I do agree that if we do things God's way, he'll always bless us, but I don't believe he'll always bless us in the way that we think he's going to bless us. <laughs> he may bless us in spiritual things. We automatically think of blessings as, um, as material things. 
in in many people's lives, martyrs of the past, uh, he blessed them by taking them home to be with him. Uh, God does bless, but how he blesses is up to him. Uh, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge in verse 17 and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, I've heard some actually suggest that this is a proof text for vegetarianism. Um, no, <laughs> they were blessed not because of the diet, but because of their obedience, because of their commitment. Now, if you want to be a vegetarian, help yourself, go for it. But don't use the Bible to justify it, because we don't see that. Uh, some people even go back before Adam, for the fall in the garden. See, they were vegetarians at that time. Um, don't use the Bible. God's blessed. Any, God's blessed it all uh, for us to eat. Uh, certainly, there's some things that are more healthy than others, no doubt. But don't use scriptures like this to um, justify vegetarianism. Now, verse number 18. Now, at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs uh, brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king, in all matters of wisdom and understanding, that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers which were in his realm. And Daniel continued even until the first year of Cyrus. So, sure enough, uh, Daniel and his three friends um, were better uh, than all the others. And they stood before him even till after he was gone, even into the reign of Cyrus, who was of the Medes that took over after uh, Babylon had fallen. Um, why do you suppose this happened? I believe it was simple obedience. God rewarded Daniel and his three friends for their obedience. And I believe that we in our day struggle hard with the concept of full and complete obedience, both in and outside of the church. I believe that it, disobedience is probably one of the greatest sins uh, that the body of Christ faces today. Um, you know, in Luke six forty six, and why call ye me Lord? Why call ye me Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Uh, so many people in the church today claim to be Christians. They they call him Lord, but they do not obey. Uh, far too many give God lip service and not life service. I'm reminded of what God told King Saul through the prophet Nathan in 1 Samuel 15:22, when Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. God wants us to obey him. And I believe with obedience comes blessing. And I believe with disobedience, no blessing. And so many are not being blessed today by the Lord because they're walking 
in disobedience. Um, if you keep reading there in 1 Samuel 15, he says something very interesting in verse 23. He says, for rebellion. In other words, disobedience is rebellion. And he says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Disobedience is, is rebellion. And it's compared to witchcraft. <laughs> Why? Because witchcraft is a means of divining direction from another source. So when we disobey, we are seeking direction from another source. God is not good enough. Saul was accused of this when he went to the witch of Endor instead of coming to the Lord. And we go to the world to seek wisdom. We go to the world to seek direction. We go to the world to find out how we should live. No, we should be going to God. And when we disobey God, it's as it's rebellion and it's as the sin of witchcraft because we're seeking another source of knowledge. And too many. I mean, when you go out outside the confines of Scripture and you accept the things of the world, you're being dis excuse me, you're being disobedient. You're rebelling against God. You're being stubborn. And it's as witchcraft because you're seeking knowledge from the world instead of God. I read that <clears throat> I read once that 93% of the churches in North America have either plateaued or declining. And I'll submit to you, I mean, you can read the articles. They talk about, you know, city churches, suburban churches, populations move and churches die. And, you know, but I submit to you that disobedience is the number one reason why most churches are dying. Disobedience. Francis Chan, who, you know, is a popular writer, uh, don't agree with everything that he says uh but he he certainly seems to be a person who loves the lord and has done a lot he once said the thought of a person calling himself a christian without being a devoted follower of christ is absurd the word christian means christ follower so for someone to say i'm a christian but i'm not following christ it's absurd. And yet our churches are full of them. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 3, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Continuing on with the thought of Chen, he said, Call me crazy, but I think those verses mean that the person who claims to know God but doesn't obey his commands is a liar 
and the truth is not really in him. That's exactly what those verses are saying. Um, <clears throat> I've read all kinds of statistics about people falling away from the church or falling away from Christ or turning their backs on Christianity. I submit to you that the overwhelming majority of them never were. They never were Christians. They never were followers of Christ. They were followers of men. They, they got a caught up in an emotional experience, which is what the vast majority of the church is about today, is whipping them up into a frenzy, tapping into emotion. But they never knew Christ. They never knew him. Um, I think it was Apostle Paul says, those who go out from us were never of, never of us. Had they been of us, they never would have left. They left because they never were. Um, you know, a disobedient Christian is an oxymoron. It's a complete contradiction. How can you be a Christian, a Christ follower, and disobey at the same time? It's an oxymoron. Jesus said in John 14, 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, it is he that loveth me. Is it even possible to go to heaven without truly and faithfully loving Jesus? I believe the answer to that question is painfully no. It is not. 